Okay, everybody, welcome again to our Derivatives Law and Regulation podcast. I'm Gary Caubaugh, and today we're going to talk about the futures markets, so the regulation uh, of the markets themselves. And by market, we mean the futures exchange and the associated clearinghouse. So, but to start this discussion, a, a very important item to keep in the background is that the Commodity Exchange Act and Section 4A states that it's unlawful for any person to enter into a futures contract if unless it is subject to the rules of a board of trade that has been designated or registered by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a contract market. A bit of a mouthful. So to put that more simply, futures transactions that aren't on a registered futures exchange are illegal. It is illegal to enter into a futures transaction other than on a futures exchange. The That is why the exemption we discussed in our last episode, the forward exemption, is so important. So, so we have this requirement that all trades be traded on a futures exchange. Well, I guess we're going to want to know what the heck that is. What is a futures exchange? So what we're going to do is first look at the actual description. The actual description is a board of trade designated as a contract market. Now we'll see that in the industry, the shorthand for that is designated contract market, if we're going to be technical, and more commonly we'll just say a futures exchange. Uh, Very rarely would somebody say that something is a board of trade designated as a contract market. We're going to use that though because it kind of can divide into two separate questions. Well, what's a board of trade? And what's a designated contract market? Because we know futures can only be traded on a board of trade designated as a contract market. So it's important for us to know, well, what is that? So let's first look at a board of trade. A board of trade is defined in the Commodity Exchange Act as any organized exchange or other trading facility. And trading facility is a little bit broader than the term organized exchange. Um, so we'll, we'll look at that definition. Um, it's where a person, and this is going to be a little bit long, but it's where a person or group of persons uh, that constitutes, maintains, or provides a physical or electronic facility or system in which multiple participants have the ability to execute or trade agreements, contracts, or transactions by accepting bids or offers made by other participants that are open to multiple participants in the facility or system or through the interaction of multiple bids or multiple offers within a system with a predetermined non-discretionary automated trade matching as execution algorithm. Now, I realize that, you know, hearing that, it's it's I, I don't expect that 100% of that sunk in. We're going to describe it more practically in a moment. Before I do that, though, uh, note, it, note that it says physical or electronic facility. So before 2000, the Commodity Futures Modernization Act, uh, 
facilities always had to be physical. There needed to be a physical trading floor. Uh, that was one of the major changes. And so today we really see the, uh, the near extinction of, of trading floors. And that's a subject we'll discuss uh, fairly, fairly soon, a few episodes from now, or, or maybe even the next one, uh, we'll discuss the, the uh, fall of organized trading floors and the rise of electronic trading. Let's use an example, though, of what a trading facility is. I'm going to simplify the definition I read, and I'm going to say it's a multiple-to-multiple -multiple platform. So it provides a facility, <clears throat> whether electronic or physical, for transactions between more than one offerer and more than one offeree. So to illustrate, we can use some hypotheticals. So in the first hypothetical, let's say we have Acme Bank. And Acme Bank provides an online web portal for its customers, where its customers can see Acme Bank's bid and offer for various commodity futures contracts. Um, this might be otherwise problematic. Um, but because it's it's an illegal off-exchange futures contract, right? So it's it's otherwise problematic. But but if user if, if Acme Bank wanted then to register this as a designated contract market, it, it would be impossible because it's only one offeror, Acme Bank, sending out an offer to multiple offerees. Let's look at another example. Let's say that there's um uh, a company, uh, let's say Gold Rush uh, Gold Company, um, sets an online page where it says what quotations it requests dealer banks to provide quotations on. So it does RFQs, requests for quotations, and it says to dealer banks, "Hey, let me know what price you'd give me for a futures trade on on this on this futures." Well, if they tried to, if they said this is our idea, and they tried to register that with the CFTC as a designated contract market, the CFTC would say no, because it's not, doesn't meet the definition of border trade, board of trade, which requires an organized exchange or a trading facility. The CFTC would say this isn't a trading facility because it's only one offeree soliciting quotes from multiple offerers. The final example, and this we'll, we'll see, meets the test of board of trade. If someone came up with the idea of saying, okay, I want to have a phone app where um, folks could see real time um, what some people are willing to sell oil futures for and other people are willing to buy oil futures for and they can see each other and they can see what they're willing to buy and sell at. Well, that would meet the definition of trading facility. It would need to be registered. Otherwise, it would be an illegal off-exchange futures contract uh, if people actually used it to trade. But it would be um, potentially... Um, registerable as a designated contract market because it meets the basic test of a board of trade, which again is an organized exchange or a trading facility. Board of trade is kind of an older term and it, it it's, harkens back to the origin of many of these facilities which were sponsored by chambers of commerce or municipalities in various regions. Uh, so we had the New York Board of Trade, Chicago Board of Trade, uh, uh, Kansas City Board of Trade. This was um, many of the areas that had significant agricultural or agricultural trading activities. 
would have organized boards of trade. So what does it mean now? So, so let's imagine we have a board of trade, but we know that's not enough because in order to be a futures exchange, we need a board of trade designated as a contract market. So assume we have a board of trade. We understand that definition now. What makes a board of trade designated as a contract market? Well, it requires registration with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and it requires adoption of what are called 23 core principles, and they are found in Commodity Exchange Act, Section 5D. And these principles um, provide the regulatory framework for uh, a designated contract market, and these rules need to be approved by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And they, the Commodity Trading Commission has very broad approval to approve or disapprove an application. Um, uh, one major case, and this was in the Southern District of New York in 1975, so it was just a federal district court case, American Board of Trade Inc. versus Bagley, tried to force the CFTC to approve a board of trade as a designated contract market, and the court generally found that the CFTC has broad jurisdiction and broad authority to not approve it. Um, there are currently 14 designated contract markets, and so the 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 there's not too many that, that every day are going before the Commodity Futures Trading Commission for, for approval. So it's not a registration category with a lot of dynamism. It's largely static. Uh, many of them have been uh, registered as boards of trade from, from the first time that that became a requirement in 1922 with the Grain Futures Act, uh, if they were trading spe specified grain contracts at that time. So... It's, um, it's not a very dynamic category. The, the folks who are registered as designated contract markets are largely static. Now, these core principles are interesting because the core principles are kind of high level. And, and so it's a mandate by the CFTC for the uh, designated contract market to, to establish more detailed regulations. And the designated contract market is what we call a self-regulatory organization. And that means it can create its own rules binding on members or, today, entities trading on its markets. So it can make rules that are binding on those categories. Uh, now, these rules aren't the same as a, a government regulation because an exchange is a private entity. Uh, it's not the government. It's, it might be publicly held or it might be privately held, but ultimately it's private in the sense of not being government. Uh, when we talk about enforcement, we'll see how important it is to maintain that distinction in foreign exchange not to inadvertently be acting on behalf of the government uh, because then suddenly constitutional protections will apply to somebody in a dispute or in a dis subject to a disciplinary action by the exchange. So we'll talk about the role of self-regulatory organizations in more detail later, but just be aware it makes its own rules. Exchanges make their own rules. Um, so, in, in fact, there's a lot of discretion for that rulemaking. Um, 
in one case, which you may want to look at Westheimer, W-E-S-T-H-E-I-M-E-R versus Commodity Exchange Inc. And that's a Southern District of New York case from 1987. Uh, there was a claim that the acts of, of a, an exchange as a self-regulatory organization should be reviewed. And the court basically determined, A, that it wasn't going to interfere with the self-regulatory proceeding. So self-regulatory organizations have a lot of judicial deference. Judges defer to their processes and will wait till their processes are complete as a general matter before a court will review what they've done. But secondly, when courts do review what they've done, as we'll see, they show a lot of deference to the self-regulatory process so long as it doesn't demonstrate some sort of outright bias or fraud or something like that on the part of the exchange. So it, it's pretty difficult to successfully bring an action uh, against an exchange. Um, and the CFTC, there's two ways to get a self-regulatory organization to enforce its own rules. They are required, once they have these rules, they have to enforce them. One is the CFTC can take an action to require um, to require an exchange to enforce its own rules. Secondly, though, is that a private party can try to get the exchange to enforce its own rules. However, it requires showing, in order to, to succeed in that claim, it requires showing in order to get damages against the exchange, it requires the, the party making the claim to show that the exchange acted in bad faith, which is very difficult to prove, as we'll see much later when we look at private and public rights of enforcement. Uh, there's a, a case, Grossman versus Citrus Association of the New York Cotton Exchange, uh, which is a, a Southern District of New York case from 1990, where there were false, purposely false rumors that there was going to be a freeze in Florida. Now, now, what's the big deal of a freeze in southern Florida? Well, for the orange crop, it's a very big deal because it would result in a lower orange harvest, which would, because of the reduced supply, increase the price of oranges. So, if you were long on an orange futures contract and had purchased ahead of time for delivery, let's say, three months from that period... Uh, you had purchased oranges, you'd be very happy because then prices would run up. You would have a right to get delivery of oranges at a much lower price. And then on the market, you'd be able to sell them at a much higher price. So, so for folks that are what we would call long in the market, it was a very good thing. Uh, for folks that were short in the market, not so good. Now, Grossman was short in the market on behalf of himself and some investors. And the, these false reports were distributed. Grossman believed that they were fake. The exchange didn't do anything. They could have taken emergency action and, and they could have halted trading um, and taken other action. And it turned out that the reports were false. And Grossman was right that, that the price of uh, the orange futures would decline. But it was too late. In the meantime, his commodities broker he had already closed him out of all of his contracts at a loss. And so he, he went to the court and he, and he tried to make this claim. And the court said, no, we're going to um, defer to what the exchange did because ultimately there's no right answer for an exchange. We could all 
afterwards second guess what they should have done but there was no certainty that any, there was any false report and and it's just very hard with hindsight to make such a claim uh, on behalf of an exchange so that was the result in in that case which was unfortunate for uh, mr. Grossman but it, it kind of does make sense doesn't it that you know, in the heat of the moment, they would have gotten sued either way. If we imagine that the exchange had imposed some sort of emergency action, stop trading, folks who were long the contract would say, well, now you're unfairly biased against us. So that's, I, I, I would suggest that there's good reason for courts to provide broad discretion or to recognize the broad discretion that the Congress has provided exchanges. Uh, so, so putting aside the regulatory framework for exchanges and the role of self-regulatory organizations and the difficulty of bringing a claim, successful claim against them, which again, that topic we'll revisit, we're going to switch to a second topic, which is derivatives clearing organizations. Now, designated contract markets are the actual exchange. So that's where parties can make their bids and offers and other parties can see on an anonymous basis those bids and offers. They'll show up and you can see that there's a bid at X price for, for Y commodity and there's an offer, you know, at Z price for Y commodity. And there, those bids and offers are simultaneously viewable. And when parties match a bid and offer, they, they match and then they face not each other and not the exchange. They face an entity that is affiliated with the futures exchange and it's commonly known as the clearinghouse or by lawyers the DCO and it's more formally known as a derivatives clearing organization. Uh, they have an essential role in the operation of the marketplace but interestingly they weren't separately regulated from the exchange until the Commodity Futures Modernization Act of 2000 and that act created a new registration category of derivative clearing derivatives clearing organizations and so that not only created that uh, registration category, it also established core principles, meaning high-level concepts that each derivatives clearing organization needs to develop rules implementing. And derivatives clearing organizations are also self-regulatory organizations. With one historic exception, derivatives clearing organizations are legally separate entities from the futures exchanges. In the futures world, they're all commonly owned. So they have a parent that owns both the futures exchange and the derivatives clearing organization. Later, when we look at swaps, we'll see that they're actually completely separately owned. And, and it's an interesting uh, development that, that's been occurring. The last item to discuss today is futures, uh, foreign, excuse me, foreign boards of trade. So the Commodity Futures Trading Commission um, historically has recognized that sometimes a U.S. person, somebody in the U.S. or somebody abroad who's a U.S. citizen, they, they, they may want to trade on a commodity exchange, on a futures exchange, that's not established in the United States and that's not registered with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a designated contract market. And so... To facilitate that occurring and still having some level of oversight, uh, historically the CFTC provided 
a suite of no action letters. They would issue a no action letter for each foreign board of trade, which most people call an FBOT. That's the acronym for it, uh, for a foreign board of trade. And that would um, allow the foreign board of trade to offer futures contracts to U.S. persons subject to the terms of that no action letter. Well, it was a very piecemeal approach, and there was a perception that it lacks a little bit of transparency, maybe, to have it be an ad hoc process for every foreign board of trade. And the CFTC decided that it might be better, um, and this was facilitated by the Dodd-Frank Act, which amended Commodity Exchange Act Section 4B to explicitly facilitate this. Uh, Section 70, 738 of the Dodd-Frank Act uh, uh, facilitated that. To, to create a rule framework for any foreign board of trade that wishes to or to be registered as such with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And that allows um, there to be a transparent, straightforward way for a non-U.S. exchange to have access to United States traders and for United States traders to be able to access an exchange because otherwise a U.S. person might reach out to an exchange in another country and the other the exchange will say no we don't want to risk taking you as a customer because the CFTC may claim that now we're operating as a futures exchange in the United States uh, illegally because we're not registered so this provides a way to facilitate uh, a more global market um, while not compromising the CFTC's public policy concerns about having a trading market um, that is is regulated to some extent. What a, just a little aside, um, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission pretty much has to list or, or ha, effectively has to approve any contract that's listed by a designated contract market. So there could, a designated contract market could come up with pretty much any commodity futures contract that it wishes to um, and, and can do that without uh, real direct involvement from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So we've had all sorts of, of contracts over the years, um, some very straightforward like Maine Potato, which doesn't exist anymore as a contract, but, you know, and, and other ones more exotic. Um, in 2011, as an, as an aside, the North American Derivatives Exchange wanted to establish options contracts that would provide a payout that depended on the outcome of an election. And that's called a binary contract. Uh, and the CFTC said, nope. And they actually drew the line and they, they precluded, um, they actually um, issued an order um, that precluded this type of contract because they took the view that this was in effect a gaming contract, that it had no uh, legitimate public purpose other than for folks to bet on a market. And it, you know, there's some sense that it did seem like a betting market. There wasn't a direct need to hedge exposure to this. And, and it, it's debatable whether there's a public utility to having a market like that. Um, and, and please, I, I hope that you all think about kind of the pros and cons of, of that sort of market. But ultimately, the CFTC does have authority to prohibit the listing of contracts relating to terrorism, assassination, war, gaming, or an unlawful activity. So, the, and, and the idea behind that, I mean, we could see the public policy problem 
of, let's say, having a contract on an assassination. So I go long on the assassination of a prominent uh, foreign political leader, and and then I help arrange that. So so there could be terrible incentives. And so the idea of this is to stop contracts from going into place that create these pernicious, uh, wicked incentives for, for folks who might trade on it. So that's what we have for this week. Um, next week, we're going to talk about futures and options market intermediaries. So we're going to talk about who the commodity brokers are and more detail about from a very practical perspective, how the market works, how margin works. And uh, so I look forward to, to speaking to you all then. And uh, thank you very much.